the internal sell to the team, really, you know, meeting with them, understanding kind of where they're at on things and, you know, kind of doing a slow roll as to like, you know, what we were building up to because you don't want anyone to ever be surprised. You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a B2B podcast that brings you the juiciest insights from go-to-market leaders and practitioners. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Sunny Side Up podcast. I'm your host today, Robert Hall, and I'm super excited to be talking with Colin Gerber about the topic of locking potential with reorganization, realignment with organization. Colin Gerber is a revenue operations and strategy leader here at SoCure, focused on analytics, insights, planning, process, and strategy, really supporting all of the go-to-market functions, as well as operational functions behind the scenes. Over the past 12 years, Colin has established and led operations and strategy functions like early stage and high growth startups, as well as late stage public enterprise software companies. Colin holds a Bachelor of Science degree in political science and history from the University of California, Santa Barbara, where he competed on the D1 track and field team. Colin, super excited to talk with you today and welcome to the show. Yeah, definitely, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Well, cool. Diving right in. I know I gave the 30,000 foot overview of uh, some of your background, some of the companies that you worked at, but would love to understand a little bit more about your background with a lot of your really interesting career path from early startup all the way up into late stage venture, publicly traded. We'd love to get a little bit of a better understanding of how you land where you are. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is interesting because it's like kind of a, a disparate kind of scale and stage of company as well as industries. Really like at the time when I first came into like my professional career, so call it 2010, the idea of sales operations was kind of just really crystallizing. It was basically taking a lot of elements that had been either scattered about the company, like about an organization, essentially, say in marketing, just within a sales organization, like a sales manager was doing a lot of stuff or like a CRO was doing a lot of stuff, finance, a billing team, IT systems. So really like when I came in my career, I started out at a fairly small at the time, SaaS security startup, Daily Involved, which was hence has been acquired by AT&T Cybersecurity. But uh, it was originally a Spanish-based company. I came in pretty early on for their U.S. presence. I probably like overall in the company, I was like employee number four or five in the U.S. So really it was a, in a real generalist role. Came in there, worked there for about a year. We took on another round of funding, brought in new leadership. Kind of turns out like a lot of stuff I was doing was sales operations. A lot of things I was, had been kind of slowly consolidating over the last like year to myself as sales operations. So um, it was really just a discussion with my manager at the time. who was a COO. Like, I think I'm doing sales operations. This is my passion, forecasting, Salesforce, planning, compensation, data hygiene, marketing, marketing support type stuff. So that's kind of how I got into sales operations originally. So not to say I kind of fell into it, but it kind of was just like a natural progression. And that was my role. So there are a couple of years. It was great. Learned a lot. Kind of was a one-man band. But then from there, kind of like my next thing, I went into division into it, into a demand force. That was a very different sales motion coming from Alienvolve, which is very technical and like enterprise to more of like a high velocity, really almost like heavy handed, like inside sales motion, B to SMB. So really cutting my teeth there on things sort of like territory management, all kinds of reporting, like doing like compensation at scale, like making it more systematized, running things like spiffs, doing all sorts of different analytics, working closer with the product team. I actually had like a built out like Salesforce IT orgs and really my initial exposure there to like a Salesforce instance at scale. So went there for a couple of years, progressed through. That was a really great learning experience. Then from there, I decided I kind of wanted to build something from the ground up. So I moved to another small startup. So not at a publicly traded company. I went to TalkDesk, 
was very early stage then. They were Series A. I was probably employee number like 30 or 32, something like that. And they had six sellers when I joined, established their basically their entire what I call full stack sales operations. Everything end to end from the entire customer lifecycle supporting all pieces of everything you think it was sales operations. I think when I joined, we were probably at three or four million in ARR. And by the time I left, it was like six sellers. And then by the time I left, we were at a go to market organization of a little over a hundred and about at twenty five million in ARR. So that was a that was a big jump in the year and a half I was there. So my next stop that I kept with my pattern went to another large company. So this was when I went to Uber and uh, worked for their enterprise business unit, so Uber for business. So once again, that's kind of more a B2B to C motion, but so I essentially build Uber accounts for enterprise and other like entities. So that was a uh, pretty interesting. We were a small insular business unit, but basically running North America sales operations and strategy for them, distributed selling team. We were had a high velocity inside motion, but also like a very large enterprise motion. So you're talking about Uber accounts or selling that were like, 20 riders to things that were like tens of thousands of riders. We're talking about like a KPMC or like some of the larger consulting firms or things of that sort. So that was a really great experience there. Left just after the IPO. That was pretty cool to go through. Then from there, I went over into the fintech world. It was kind of my first exposure to the fintech space. So I went to a firm, which is the buy now, pay later solution. Went in there running the basically what the first thing would be like revenue operations. So not really like sales focus, but talking about like everything under the sun that touches revenue. And then over there, I was predominantly running our post-sales revenue operations organizations to working really closely with our strategic account management or strategic account leaders. This was a, also like a, a volume, like usage-based business. So really like things like forecasting, looking at like our actual utilization on the platform versus what we forecasted and like revenue coming in through the door. So a lot of like really interesting things that we're working with like business operations, data scientist teams, doing things like enhancing all of our, like our forecasting, rejiggering a lot of our compensation plans. Just a lot of like really interesting things there based on like the type of model and business it was. So that was, that was a great experience. I was there at the start of the pandemic, which was pretty interesting as well, because we kind of had a dip at the start of 2020. And then really people working from home, this whole like BNPL space like really took off because people were at home, they were spending more money, buying things for their home offices, doing a lot of home improvements and stuff. So like that was like a really hot time for that space in itself. And so that was really interesting. They had a, a big IPO. That was also really great. I left shortly before that. Keeping with my pattern, went over to Very Good Security, which is basically a payment data security company. Built an org from a, the ground up there. Um, once again, I, I call that fintech adjacent, even though security. So it's a kind of a blend of my background, but with like different elements of different companies in there. Basically selling to the entire pyramid, really small, like self-service, like transactional deals to like very large multi-million size enterprise contracts. And that was really where I'd say I built out my first large org. I came in there as an individual contributor, ending up scaling my org to 14. I think at the time our Company or very, very good security is about 250 people, but basically this encompasses everything. Like I, I call it like my four main pillars. First pillar being go-to-market strategy and operations. So think more like traditional sales ops, CX ops, our commercial system. So that is Salesforce, productivity stack, everything connected into it, deal desk and like billing operations. And then I also owned our revenue enablement function, which is basically sales enablement for all of us that touch our customers or our prospects. So built that up. I was there about a year and a half as well. They ended up going through several reorgs. So it kind of didn't really totally work out there, but um, then ended up landing where I am now at SoCure, 
in a very similar role, leading the revenue operations function. I've been here about seven months. What we're kind of probably going to get into in this talk is just talking about where the org was when I got here, kind of what I'm transforming it to and how I'm aligning it to actually serve, serve the greater organization more evenly, equitably, and at scale and allowing for our next stage of growth. So yeah, they had so here for about seven months, leading revenue ops, and we'll kind of get into the meat of all that in this talk. Absolutely. I love it. Thank you so much. A couple of questions, actually, you were going through some of your background, a large piece of our audience are either individuals about to get into the labor force or are managers at whatever level, but are ideally mentoring their team into what energizes them in their next step. You had said something really interesting of being such an early stage employee right out of college. You had this more generalist type of responsibility. I'm curious, what about your personality looking back? attracted you to more of the sales operations oriented category, especially when it really wasn't a category back then or a, a, a really formal role at nearly every organization? Yeah, yeah, I think really starting out, it's you kind of just take what's kind of given to you as far as scope and function, and then really trying out a lot of different things and doing a lot of different things. I would say lower stakes are in a smaller company, it kind of gave me a lot of exposure. And I found what I really liked is times around like process, data, you know, the actual like analytics of the business, what actually drives it, the uncovering and trapping KPIs, like stuff like that is like what really was like under the hood of the business that actually drove the top line and like see how you can affect that from being adjacent to the actual sellers or the folks who are closing or driving the revenue. And like, that was intriguing to me because it's like you are, you are a part of it, but you're not directly responsible, but you also have like that kind of like full that purview and kind of like that full breadth of scope and like understanding of the overall business and where it's going and what's going on with it. I love it. And then one of your other experiences you mentioned was at Uber and had that unique opportunity of being with them going throughout the IPO. And I can only imagine with at least the standard responsibilities over a sales operations leader, I imagine there was a lot of processes that you had to go through to really make sure that you were a, a, a ready public company, right? With all of the more stringent reporting and things along those lines. We'd love to understand more about that experience, what it was like taking Uber public in your experience. Yeah. Yeah. So like a little caveat there, which is really interesting is like this business, you know, was actually the first kind of go to market or B2B entity within the company. So if you think about coming to a company, which is primarily like a B2C and then shifting the paradigm and making it like a B2B to C, that's really interesting. Getting everyone to think about things in a different way, even all of our backend reporting, our analytics, how we track the business was like almost completely like asymmetric to how the rest of the rest of Uber was running. Hence, like we were like our own business here. But as far as like preparation for an IPO, there's a lot of things that go around being like audit ready as far as like how we're paying out compensation, what we're paying out in compensation, our actual like revenue numbers, what's actually being attributed to our part of the business because we were just built on the main platform. But we were a function on the platform. What actually is true to our business? What is our revenue? Really distilling down those targets and making sure we were on track to help Uber hit their goals pre-IPO. So it was successful. And when they went on their roadshow, what they're telling the investors, like our, I'm not small, but our piece of that all be in order and kind of pass muster in order to enable them to actually go IPO. I love it. Well, very cool. Thanks for sharing that. Shifting back and now into current state, some of what you've already teased at as you're talking about your current experience here at SoCure, recognizing came in about seven months ago and presently underway with the way that I understand it, a, a relatively major reorganization exercise, at least within this operations department that you're leading. Would love to understand and you share this, this concept that we were talking about earlier, these operational centers of excellence 
What was the need for them? Why do you feel like they are more efficient? Would love to hear your perspective around this concept of operational center of excellence. Yeah, I think it really boils down to two main elements. It's unsiloing resources and then removing friction within the groups that support our customer lifecycle. So kind of dialing back or going back to seven months when I first joined, we did have a revenue operations function here, but it was it was pretty thin and more of kind of like an individual contributor type role that actually kind of grew out of necessity. But then really coming in and SoCure as a whole actually reorged into three main COEs. First COE being the commercial COE, which is, you know, all of our AEs, account management, marketing, it's all in there. Our product COE, which is product engineering, data science, all that stuff over there. And then finally, our finance and operations COE, which is the COE my group sits in. So right coming in after that, or right before that reorg, basically we had these different individuals or functions sitting embedded in parts of the commercial or the product and marketing orgs, because those were all separate orgs at the time. So these these individuals or like functions weren't necessarily working in like harmoniously together or like actually on the same page about things and like projects would pop up in corners or like initiatives would get to launching and then other groups would not be aware, even though there's downstream impacts. So it's very it was very apparent that there was a need to have a centralized revenue operations org rolling in all these groups and elements into one team to kind of act as a command and control, the operational command and control for the rest of the organization. So by coming in, doing some intros with folks, getting pointed in the right direction on who would be a good fit or possible fit for this team in the reorg, kind of just did my homework, basically like internally interviewed some people to see if it made sense and kind of came up with an organizational design to like my team where I think people should go and slot into. And then once that larger reorg or the greater reorg happened, those people were moved into the revenue operations org, which is really like the phase one. Phase two is I had about three months with everyone operating a very flat organization, working very close with every member on the team, really identifying their strengths, their passion, as well as maybe additional aptitudes or interests that they probably didn't know they had just through conversation, seeing the type of work that they gravitated towards and really identifying what part of the revenue operations org, which I think they would succeed the most in and that would best serve the greater SoCure organization. I love that. One of my biggest takeaways was actually after you had taken on your new team is interviewing them and really understanding not only what do they like, but also what are they really passionate about? I think that speaks volumes just to your leadership style and taking on this almost mentor-like capacity in supporting your team and really making sure you're successful while still, of course, accomplishing the day job, but really being there as a mentor. As you're describing these individual centers of excellence across, and I think I captured these as commercial products and then finance and operations being the third, with operations living within that latter one, and one of the identified issues that we were trying to solve or at least streamline further being that silo, the siloed teams, perhaps duplication of efforts, right? Maybe some friction that are causing across teams that may be working on similar projects simultaneously in uh, pockets and corners. How have you avoided recreating some of these silos with the three separate centers of excellence that are overseen within SoCure? Yeah. So as a part of my reorganization, it's not only just like an org chart of this is who you report to now and like this is your role. It's really like, there's a matrix that that was created is like 
this is the function. This is who's responsible. It's not only like always just one person. There's always going to be like two people that kind of cross over there within the team. It's who are your, what are your main functions of that element of the team? Be it like pre-sales operations. Let's take it easy. Once say like sales operations and who are your primary business partners? So explicitly stating like who your primary business partners are, be it it's our commercial leaders, our business intelligence team, finance, marketing, like really clearly listing out like who they should be interacting with and then going to click down further. And there's another matrix where it's internal. So internal revenue operations org and then external. So cross-functional and then looking at weekly, bi-weekly, monthly and quarterly, and then just dropping in like which groups should they be meeting with at which cadence. So essentially creating a model of regular communication. So we have all these touch points and we do avoid siloing and duplication of efforts because there's going to be enough regular touch points where we know what other teams are doing and those teams know what we're doing. And then also transitioning out of, I would like to say like the Slack black box, the email black box and moving teams, not only are like systems related teams into a Jira ticketing system, but also our go-to-market operations team into a Jira ticketing system as well. So it's a very great way for us to like asynchronously communicate across teams, add and watches on tickets, get people updates, do not ask it one-off. What is this going to be done? Or we need more information. Like we have it all in a centralized place. Everyone can see. And then with all these regular touch points, if stuff comes up, there is at least enough regular communication that we can kind of head off any issues or identify opportunities in a project or like an initiative. Absolutely. I can imagine with the ongoing cadence, the fact that you operationalize, you have that opportunity now to kind of suss out any sort of duplicative efforts before any real time investment has gone into these projects to divert any sort of not wasted, because I feel like that's maybe a bit extreme, a way to, again, streamline going back to what we were talking about earlier, some of these projects that you've been working on. More tactically speaking, I'm curious, and maybe even elevating a little bit outside of SOC here, but of course, leveraging your experience, because I think it's invaluable in this case is, how did you actually go about the actual reorganization? You touched on a few of the items, like the interviewing of the teams, identifying their strengths and passions. But really, tactically speaking, I would love to understand kind of that internal roadshow of what you had to do to sell it internally, the problems you were trying to solve, things along those lines. Yeah, I think, I mean, first it comes with an organizational charter, and that's like, what what is this org? What are we trying to solve? Who are we trying to support? Then coming up with what my ideal organization chart would be, I taking that to the leadership in my COE, getting sign off on that, kind of explaining kind of the pieces on the board and where they fit in. Then from there, it was really going to our cross-functional COE leadership, specifically in the commercial org, and getting buy-in and understanding the level of support and like resources that they would need going forward, and making sure like they understood by by maybe like removing this resource that they had kind of dedicated to their pocket, but like broadening the scope, it's actually beneficial to them to actually have someone not completely dedicated to them, but dedicated across a group of the function and like teams in order to like foster greater collaboration for us to move quicker on things. So it's really getting like that, that kind of like top line buy-in. Then it really was like the internal sell to the team, really meeting with them, understanding kind of where they're at on things and kind of doing a slow roll as to what we were building up to because you don't want anyone to ever be surprised. Hey, like we're moving you around. These are the people you're supporting. This is like kind of the structure of the team. So really setting the groundwork there over, probably did that over five or six weeks. And then once again, like I said, I put together all that documentation, rolled that out internally to my team, got everyone kind of like rowing in the same direction. We're probably in like week two of this right now, but I, I think it's going 
extremely well. I think everyone's kind of selling in their swim lanes and they kind of understand like their scope and purview. We have someone to send people to when there's that specific like inquiry or request or a project comes up. I have my person to put on that or I know I'm going to be working on it with this person on my team. So it's not, here's this thing like figuring out who's working on it on a very ad hoc thing. It's like very systematized. So then that's internally. Then once the reorg's done, the external roadshow going into the all COE meetings showing like this is like the the revamp, the new look RevOps team. This is who it is. This is what they do. And this is who we work with. And then this is the best way to communicate with us, to communicate with us. And this is how you like contact us otherwise. I love it. Something that I've always been really interested in is you, you touched on a couple of aspects of it. So we'd love to hear like a more specific answer is this topic of change management, right? You, you'd spoken on a couple of pieces. If you don't want any surprises for people, you mentioned people are, I feel like you mentioning the fact that people are settling into their swim lanes pretty well would typically imply that the change management was done at a pretty solid level, right? They're feeling more comfortable with it. The lack of surprise is so I'm curious, specific to that change management aspect, actually working with the human beings to where any sort of reorg, I think for some people may invoke this sense of uncomfortability, right? Maybe putting themselves in a position that they weren't, uh, maybe that they didn't initially sign up for, maybe that they don't feel that they're qualified for, no matter how much you may have interviewed them and really ensured that they would be a good fit for this new role. How did you go about that human element, that, that yeah. cultural change management to make sure that they all knew that they should be comfortable, they will be successful. And as a result of their efforts, the company will also be more successful. Yeah, totally. I mean, like, I think that kind of goes back to what I said. It's like ideal org chart, like this is ideal. But then after going through several iterations, like this is where we're at now. And that really was the result of the benefit and result of having that really flat organization for three months where I was literally writing shotgun with everyone on everything and then understanding where their strengths lie. And then as a new stuff was coming in, basically being the single point of triage to kind of divvy out the work or delegate things based on where I thought we were going to go with the reorg. And so by time we moved the organization in the manner of which like the, the org chart was, everyone was kind of already doing that. It was just basically formalizing and codifying the structure. I love it. I think the, the biggest piece that I heard about that is really what you started with is double clicking with each individual team member, like, like going back to that surprise piece, not doing anything rashly, not doing anything too quickly, just really double clicking, making sure that you have a solid understanding of the landscape that you are trying to change. So you're continually comfortable with those iterations. That kind of feeds into the next thing that I was interested in understanding is some of the typical challenges that one could run into in a reorg, right? We've talked on that change management piece and that communication and probably the time investment of really being clipped in with a lot of your team members. The multiple iterations from your ideal state of what that org chart should look like and then going through iterations of what's really feasible with current resources. I can imagine those maybe were some conversations that you had to have with your team and managing upwards into your leadership. What other challenges maybe were you not expecting to run into that popped up their heads during this process? Yeah, I think... Like I said, like double cleaning down to my team, like on paper, like their function said one thing, we'd start working on things with them and you realize, oh, like you actually haven't had exposure to this here. We need to get you up to speed with how we're doing this here. Or I'm technically still ramping. So I don't necessarily know what I don't know yet until I actually get in there with them. But understanding this is what I understood your role is currently. And if there's, you know, not the visibility or like kind of the context on the stuff that we're going to be moving into is like basically a learning process for both of us and making sure like they're comfortable and up to speed on what like the responsibilities or the role is going to be 
prior to formalizing anything. And there was a couple of surprises there, which is like a few things. Oh, like I would not assume, but I would be like, oh, like I thought like this is like how we were doing it. It's like, no, we were actually doing it this way or, you know, the rest of the org was doing it this way, but you're doing it this way. So it's actually like just making sure we align things to like our internal best practices and that they're up to speed and comfortable enough that like when the actual formal handoff happens or the formalization of it goes, like they are on like a, a good foundation and can kind of iterate upon what's already there and kind of take things the next step as being like the, the single threaded owner SME on this piece of the operational kind of like umbrella. Certainly. Yeah, I'm hearing walking away. One of the best practices, it sounds like, is that really clear communication, not only an upfront time investment, but things may happen as you're managing upwards to some of the changes that you're trying to make. And we need to make sure that's being communicated downwards that those individuals may be the ones that are actually impacted by some level of that decision. So being able to really clearly communicate expectations. And again, it's all going back to your initial point of no surprises. Nobody should be really shocked with some sort of result of just signing in the next day and this major change has happened. That's really going back to that that clear communication from day one and really investing in your team, understanding their passion points. Any other best practices that you would recommend based on your experience? I mean, it's not really best practice, but more something like a good learning. Like we identified a few blind spots in the organization as a whole that no one had, had any eyes on. Just because like you said, we had support in various parts of the org, but we didn't have support in other places. It's kind of like when we talked to previously, it's like, it doesn't help if parts of the org are in square five and parts of the org are in square one, because as it dances, one group could be if another group, like it's like kind of in like a nascent or rudimentary state, something's going to eventually break. So we actually identified a lot of blind spots that are spinning up a lot of great OKRs and like some meaty projects that are really going to progress the business. And really string things together and hopefully I would say foster like a greater velocity within our business, which is the whole goal of the organization or the revenue ops organization. Certainly. I love the eyes wide open of everything that's going on with almost this, this internal audit of sorts of really understanding the operational excellence, where are we really strong and where are we really nascent to use your own words? Where can we use some additional investment and training and just a better focus as a company? Winding down, would really love to understand. I know it's Definitely dominating a lot of the media headlines, but all of this uncertainty that's happening at a macroeconomic scale, a lot of things that are out of our control, something that are within our control. We'd love to understand, especially with your position at the revenue ops within SoCure, what are some of the steps that y'all have taken to better plan for a lot of this uncertainty? Yeah, yeah, I, that, that, that's a that's a great question. I mean, really, like if we look at our customer base, like we are really spread out across a lot of different verticals, a lot of different sizes, a lot of different stage companies. So really we looked within ourselves and we're being very true to ourselves with like how we're segmenting our customers, be it by size, be it by vertical, looking at trailing performance of like size customers and really being honest here and deciding where should we kind of fold our cards and not focus as far as we're going after, what stuff should be kind of like which verticals maybe should be more of a maintenance mode. Other ones are actually getting a positive growth mode for us based on what's going on. Knowing that we may be tabling something right now because we're going to focus on these things, which we know we'll, we have, we've had success in or based on what's going on externally, like we should have success and make inroads in. So really like thinking about our segmentation and knowing that, hey, it's great. We have all this pipeline over here, but based on what's happening, this probably is not going to happen. And we just need to like, kind of like walk away from this for now and really double down on these folks over here. And that's how we're really thinking about business. Like when we were reforecasted, really like layering those elements into our plan and realizing 
where we were strong two years ago probably is not where we're going to be strong in the near term right now. But that doesn't mean we're not going to be strong there once we come out of the other end of you know whatever's going on because of this macroeconomic situation. I love that. I think that what I took away there was like find the silver lining. Like where is growth still occurring, and how can we really invest into that strategy? But candidly, something I hadn't even considered is where do we just expect pipeline, for example, to fall off? Like it's, if I'm hearing you correctly, it's not just going to be a flat 10%, 20% insert a percentage point here across the board. Some industries are going to be impacted more than others. How can we identify those sooner rather than later, communicate that ultimately to the sales rep and sales leader that are working those so that they know, hey, statistically speaking, we're not done yet. We really need to reinvest efforts because your win rates are very likely to decrease from what you may have been expecting. So it's really cool to see that segmentation, even from that angle and how to be more prioritized really across the board. Always curious, good, the topic of good reads. Is there a, a book, blog, podcast, website, video that you would yeah. recommend to our audience? So I have, I have two for you. They're two very kind of like disparate things, but first one for, I said, a lot of folks listening are really getting into starting out their careers. My book I read probably like eight years ago, Secrets, Secrets of Sam Hill. If I knew the stuff I knew from reading that book or learned from reading that book, um, just about the venture cap world and kind of like what to look for in a company, I think that would have saved me a lot of frustration or done me a lot of good when evaluating companies or looking at my next career move. So that's, that's, a, that's a great book. Second one, and this kind of ties in with like reorganizations and like this reorganization was not really this case, but there is a first round capital article called Giving Away Your Legos. And like, this is essentially if you come in and maybe you have two or three people doing everything, but then you say you grow the team to 10. And like those people have been there for a while doing those two or three people for a while doing like everything. It's kind of like a way of explaining like by removing like things from their plate and distributing it out to a larger team, it allows them to focus and become more tuned and greater at what they do or like their their chosen like core competencies. And so it's better to be a master of few than a master of none. And yeah. Sometimes it isn't great to be the single point of failure for 20 things. It's better to just be an SME for three. So it's a great article about like explaining like peeling away things isn't always a negative for your career. It's generally a positive and allows you to become a master of that, that part of it and really hone your skills and progress there. Especially giving away your Legos resonates with my inner child. So I love that yeah. one. I'm going to have to check that one out. Yeah. I, uh, I use that analogy far too much in my career, but I was also a big, <laughs> a big, a big, a big Lego fan growing up. You and me both. I love that. Always curious, especially as we're closing out today's podcast, always like to ask our our hosts that are so gracious to spend time with us. Is there an individual or maybe a couple of individuals that you would recommend that our audience can get a ton of benefit from listening to? Yeah, I would say, obviously listening because they don't do too much stuff. But if anyone wants to get in contact with me, there's a couple of really great folks I worked with previously. One of my former CMOs at Edmondson, he's actually entrepreneur in residence at Scale Ventures. And he's just really sharp, knows everything you'd ever want to know about marketing and has scaled stuff from nothing to hundreds of millions of dollars. Former Marketo guy, Everstream. So he's like, he's great. And then actually my old boss at Uber, Elaine Mao, she's now in the security space, but she basically built up revenue operations and the go-to-market function for Uber for Business from nothing to where it is today. And she was the founding member of the team. And those are two really great individuals that I have a great relationship with and that I consider like mentors in my career. I love it. Definitely two influential people. Great to have mentors at that capacity. 
Well, cool. Last question here. What would be the easiest way for people to get in touch with you coming out of the podcast if something you'd spoke about really resonated with them? Yeah, honestly, easiest way is LinkedIn. I'm on there every day, very responsive. And uh, if you reach out, I will I will write back to you. So I, I'm very on top of them. I'm an inbox zero kind of person. And that goes for my LinkedIn inbox as well. I love it. Well, Colin, it's been an absolute pleasure, man. I really enjoyed today's conversation. I think our audience was as well really helpful to understand what were some of the initial observations that you made at SOAP here leading to the reorganization? What was the business case? How did you iterate time and time again? And how did you ultimately communicate that out to your team members? Learned a ton. Thank you so much for being on the show, Colin. Such a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for your time as well. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is smarter GTM for B2B brands to help marketing and sales teams spot the juiciest opportunities earlier and progress them faster. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunnyside Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demand Based TV. 